0: Hello and welcome to the Sacred Wisdom Podcast. I am your host, Arabella Thais. Each week, I'll be interviewing an expert in their field, exploring a broad range of topics, from ancient rituals to plant medicine, cosmology to consciousness, and mathematics to mysticism, as well as philosophy, art, and poetry. I invite you to journey with me as we rediscover sacred wisdom and examine cutting-edge research, In the hope that we might deepen our connection, not only to the cosmos and the world around us, but to each other and ourselves. Welcome to the Sacred Wisdom Podcast, and thank you very much for tuning in. Today on the show, I have with me Carter Phipps, who is an author, speaker, and thought leader working at the intersection of business, personal development, and culture. His recent book, Conscious Leadership, which he co-wrote with Whole Foods founder John Mackey and Steve McIntosh was selected as a Financial Times Fall Book Pick 2020, and has been praised by some of the business world's leading thinkers. Carter could be described as a visionary writer, a business futurist, and evolutionary. He co-founded the Institute for Cultural Evolution, a nonprofit social policy think tank based in Boulder, Colorado which is inspired by the insights of integral philosophy and seeks to better understand and influence the cultural roots of America's challenges. Today we discuss a lot of juicy mind-expanding stuff, including conscious leadership and conscious capitalism, as well as a counter-argument to the anti-capitalist stance, the notion of telos and a teleological universe, the Omega Point and Teilhard de Chardin, the miniature worlds theory in quantum mechanics and Carter's opinion on it, Alfred Whitehead's notion of adjacent potential, transhumanism and AI, and so much more. I really hope that you enjoy the show. So welcome, Carter, to the
1: Sacred Wisdom Podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. I wish I was there in Costa Rica. I'm sure it's a beautiful uh, place and beautiful sunshine there. It's
0: beautiful. uh, You're you're welcome anytime. We need more kind of (laughs) game changers here, I think, having these important discussions. Good. So I, the first question I'd like to ask you, please, if you wouldn't mind, just telling the listeners a little bit about what it is that you do.
1: Uh, at its essence, I'm, a, I'm an author, a writer. I had a book come out this year or last year, I guess, in 2020 called Conscious Leadership. That's about how business can evolve to, and how our leadership skills can evolve to improve business, which can then improve society, which then can help evolve culture. I wrote a book in 2012 uh, yeah. called the Evolutionaries. Yeah. And that was the culmination of an era of my life in which I was the editor of a magazine called What is Enlightenment, which was exploring sort of the intersection of spirituality and science and the evolution of culture and consciousness. Mm. Uh, in all from all kinds of different perspectives. And uh, I wrote at the end of that period of my life, I wrote a book called Evolutionaries, which is about the way in which the idea of evolution is transforming the way we see really All areas of life, and I talked about from spirituality and mysticism to science and technology to culture and even politics. And I'm also the co-founder of a nonprofit that's dedicated to bringing ideas about the evolution of culture to try to heal and solve and respond to some of our nation's political challenges, and particularly the challenge of polarization in America not just in America, but certainly in America, that it's a huge challenge, the polarized politics and different worldviews clashing. Yeah. how we respond to that. So I do all kinds of things. That's so kind of
0: a, a myriad thing, but it seems like the unifying theme then is the desire to see a better world, a more unified world, a more cooperative world.
1: If there's a unifying theme, I'm very deeply committed to the evolution of consciousness and culture Mm -hmm. and probably in this part of my life more the the latter part the evolution of culture how this culture evolved how do we have an impact on the future when you say
0: culture what do you mean i I don't mean like high
1: culture like art music and things. i guess that's one way people think about culture more culture as the agreements and values that we all share together individually collectively the different worldviews we hold the different ways we see our lives how we think about and structure our lives together how those values inform our communities or all of our interactions so it's really what what the at this micro level it's what you and I might share between us the the nature of our relationship the culture we create between us it's neither your it's neither yours nor mine it's something we create between us and then the the macro level eight billion people are doing that and so what does that look like and how do we understand culture how does it evolve and how can we help to move the society forward. And part of that is understanding that this tremendous thing has happened in the last 10,000 years, which is that we had a billion years or whatever it was of biological evolution. And suddenly we have this tremendous change on the planet. And Mm. that's because culture has come online. Human cognition has changed. That's created this whole dimension of human culture in which evolution is happening, in which the world is changing and society is Recognizing that, how can we have an impact on that? How can we have better outcomes and not worse outcomes? I guess this is the bottom line.
0: Right, absolutely. <laughs> so. Because I recall from my conversation with Jon Stewart, he spoke about the trajectory of evolution and how up until now it has been blind. It has been self-generated, if you will. It has been operating on a collectively subconscious level. And, but we have reached this kind of the apotheosis of that insofar as that has run its course. And in order for us to not self-destruct, in order for us to have better outcomes, as you just mentioned, we do need to turn evolution conscious or intentional. Presumably, you agree with that?
1: I'd agree. I, I think I might see the, the history of evolution a little bit different than John might. But essentially, I think we agree with however you see the history of evolution whether extending beyond biology, is there such a thing as cosmological evolution that has led up to the last billion and a half years of biological evolution, or 13 and a half billion years of cosmological evolution, whatever's got us to this point, we're in this position as a culture, as a species, where we have to be much more cognizant about how we go forward. We can't just allow nature to take its course, so to say. <laughs> we, Absolutely. And I think as we understand the history of this kind of the truth of this sort of evolutionary picture, which is very recent, only last hundred or two hundred years. It adds to the urgency that we have to wake up and move maybe at right angles or counter to our natural, some of our natural instinctual predilections and more mm. be more conscious about how we're going about this whole entire project.
0: I couldn't agree more. And the reason I asked you about culture and to delineate that term is because. I think what is so problematic is the nature of culture on our planet. We don't just have a homogenous culture. We have many different human right. cultures with different That's systems right. of values yeah. and sure. you know, are, yeah. they're, they're incongruous with each other. But I think the problems we face as humanity necessitate global change. They don't just necessitate change within the U.S. or within the U.K. It's like, how do we cooperate, build momentum together with such disparate cultural values. Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: that, that is the question of the moment, I think. But It's a huge question, probably the question of the century in some ways.
0: Interesting. Um, it, it's,
1: a, it's an issue because uh, on one hand, we can talk about global society and we can talk about the need to wake up when we have global issues that uh, dr- touch us all. And we can talk about the need to address those in a global context and all that's really important. But also the reality is that a culture isn't one monolithic block. Mm -hmm. suggest when there are different worldviews that are active. And this is part of what the sort of the foundation of the think tank I helped co-found was the idea that we have a certain worldview here in the States, even in the United States, right? Let's say in America, there are very different worldviews, very different value systems that are active. How do we negotiate between those? Much less if we're talking about, I did an interview a couple weeks ago with a journalist who was writing a book about Saudi Arabia. Just an entirely different way of organizing reality in that culture, and that society, much very much in a more traditional religious context and yet emerging mm. into modernity. So mm. the issues and problems they're dealing with in that transition from traditional society, a more traditional society to a more modern society, be very different than the issues we're dealing with in, in European society or in, in American society, where you have a, what I would call a modern and postmodern society. And those they are just, they're just different issues. So we can't just blanket think it's all the same those are and yet we have issues that affect all of us regardless of where we have what kind of values or worldviews we have right
0: it's a complicated i like that you just drew on our similarities and our differences this idea of us all having vital fundamental human Mm. needs and so you've alluded to this institution i'm right in thinking that's the institute for cultural evolution
1: yeah that's correct
0: Is that right? And but that's just looking at the United States.
1: It's mostly focused on the United States. Maybe over time we'll do something more, but we're trying to stay focused. Just
0: do one thing at a time. I think that's probably quite a good idea.
1: Exactly. Mm. We're just
0: yeah, one one step at a time. I think what I found so fascinating about that is that it is bridging the gap between these sorts of big ideas or existential ideas about the meaning of culture, the meaning of human behavior, systems, theories, how we relate to each other. Yeah. And then ma- marrying it with politics, which I find, I feel like when I look at politics, so for instance, Joe Biden, ostensibly so different to Donald Trump. For me, I'm just like, I feel like this whole paradigm though is broken. It's all broken. It all belongs to something which is outdated, outmoded yeah, that's and probably needs true too. kind of completely recalibrating or, right. remod- or remodeling in general. So I was wondering, like, how you, how do you um, navigate that gulf between kind of spirituality, uh, systems theory, these ideas with politics and that realm i
1: think i think we can have a couple things two things can be true one one is that as the think tank we're not just in the everyday there are people who are really in the politics who are in the everyday kind of just political battles at the moment right you know, they're just yeah. like fighting for their side or whatever so we're trying to take a kind of bigger picture But I think there is some probably truth to that. We're in a general paradigm and people come and go in that paradigm. And maybe that whole paradigm has to shift and change and develop into a new paradigm. And we go through these in politics, maybe every 30, 40 years, every 70, 80 years, we go through these kinds of fundamental shifts where it seems like where everything kind of shifts and reorganizes and a new person comes in and they're really in a different mode. And then we go through, we're in that mode for a while. So it's not untrue to say that there is uh, we've been in a, a kind of similar paradigm for maybe the last 40, 50 years, or maybe yeah. last even 75, 80 years. That being said, I don't think, I don't think Trump and Biden are like each other either. I think they're different and they'll have different impacts. And so it's, yeah. I think in some ways both are true, but nevertheless, I think when we're talking about, American politics or as John Stewart I think probably pointed out in your podcast there are things in culture and in society that government needs to do and it needs to yeah. do well and it needs to and, and as we cre- as the problems of the 21st century hit us whether they're political or geopolitical or military issues or environmental issues or ecological issues or climate issues whatever they look like or technology issues the government needs to be able to do things and do things well. It needs to be. Yeah. And at this point, it doesn't do those things. It can't. Right. It's so divided. And, and there have been times in our history when government has been able to be effective, either in big things or even in small things. Mm. And so whether you believe in a big uh, limited government or whether you believe the government should have more of a role, I just think we need, we're in a period where we're so at each other's throats. Yeah. That we're in a sort of social civil war in America in some ways. And yeah, it may be, it may be a non-shooting war, mm. but it's still pretty ugly. And if it gets worse, it not only hamstrings government to do the things it needs to do, but it hamstrings society to be able to move forward in ways it needs to move forward. It hamstrings everything. And how do you deal with yeah. that? So it's like we, we're probably in the most polarized era we've been since the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And that we'd like not to have a civil war again. That would be good, I think, <laughs> not to have a civil war.
0: Abs- no, absolutely. Um, for tackling this problem, would you suggest creating new systems, or would you just see improving what we have already in the United States, for example? I think,
1: yeah. Look, you you, you certainly have to create new systems, but at the same time, I want to be a little careful because I know there's a whole you know, there's a whole kind of worldview that sort of sits on the sidelines of the political battle and says, "Let it burn." We're going to create mm. new systems over here. And those are going to be the systems of the future. And that's just old stuff. It's going to all burn down. Yes, I'm, I'm all for people creating, experimenting with new systems. And, and yes, they may provide the foundations of, future, of the future in, in various kinds of ways. So I think that's let a million flowers bloom in that sense. I'm all for that. And I think there's a lot of experimental stuff out there about how to create new systems. I think that's great. But sometimes that's done with a, that's an old tired worldview, let it burn. And I, I just, I, I think that's not always healthy. I think we need, okay, to, we need to try to make, we also have to try to make this system work. We all live in it. Right. It has real impacts on people every day. We can't just jump from here to there. I think that comes from an idea about how culture is going to evolve. I an I like to say I'm an evolutionary. I'm not a revolutionary. Yeah. I'm not a revolutionary. I, I don't think we're all going to leap forward into a new worldview like that. I, I think culture doesn't evolve like that. And I think the idea sometimes people have when they get into a revolutionary idea about culture is they want to they get more okay about the kind of let it burn down mode. Mm. And they imagine some idealistic future that we're all going to jump into or naturally embrace when that happens. And, Yeah. yeah, I get frustrated, too, with the current system. And I understand that. And maybe we do have to go through some dramatic moments to get to another place. But when we have gone through dramatic moments in the past to get to a new place, it's often a huge war or a complete disaster, a civil war, a World War II. These things, they did create new political realities. And those political realities were positive, we could say. But that's more unconscious evolution, right? That's the kind of evolution where you have to go through some dramatic disaster because you're not being conscious enough about how you evolve, right? right. And it's only when you go through that disaster, even you can see that as individuals. That we're not being very conscious about how we have to go through some major crisis before we change. And Absolutely. if we have to do that as a culture continuously, if we have to go through these major crises before we can change and develop and evolve, ultimately, not only is that cause tremendous suffering but it's very dangerous for society as you go forward, and your technology is better and better, I and mean, what kind of war do we have to have before what will it yeah, take, we need, what will it take? We need them more consciously evolved and and that means a more evolutionary process ultimately I think than this unconscious uh, where people and and then people imagine these bright like they think if we have some kind of mini apocalypse it's all going to be better I'm sorry that's probably not going to happen right. it, it, that would that would be very rare so. I, I'm count me out of the mini apocalypse. Yeah. I
0: think it's happening now. I think you're in it. I think it's happening now, no?
1: It may be. I mean, <laughs> but We're trying to mitigate Let, it. Exactly. <laughs>
0: I agree with you. Let's hope that we don't need to take things any lower. It's a little bit like addiction. I heard something about addiction yeah, sure. that is, it's like being on an elevator going down. How far down do you yeah. want to go before you get off? Yeah. You choose which floor you get off at, you know, and I'm hoping we've kind of we've reached that.
1: But I see all the time. I see it. I think on both the left and the right now, sometimes that this feeling that like sometimes I say an idealistic, very idealistic, revolutionary kind of picture imagines that on the other side of that of the thing burning down is some kind of hope for future. But that's almost comes from our. That's like a very traditional religious idea, right? There's this mm-hmm. messianic, this kind of eschatological yeah. moment, millennialism. Yeah. It's got. Yeah. It's almost. It's, it's almost. an archetype, uh, isn't it? It's an archetype from yeah. almost traditional religion, and, and, I, and I don't really buy that archetype as being a way to help society evolve. And but people are very enamored with it. But my own conviction is that we get into that archetype, and yeah, we get into the archetype when not when we believe in evolution, when we stop believing when we stop believing that things can change, that's when we reach for these messianic, dramatic solutions. So I'm trying to help people believe that things can change, (laughs) that they can help evolve the society. I I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. And I know sometimes it seems like nothing's going to change. But the antidote to that is looking back at history and how much has changed over time, how much has evolved. So we have to take heart from that. And think the more conscious we are, the more we can have an impact. Anyway, that's my particular conviction.
0: Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, so you're an optimist as, as I am I. I am an optimist, <laughs> but
1: I, I'm, not, I'm a realist. I'm a realist, though. But, but, I, I feel Sure, a, but they're but not incompatible. Optimist. They're not but, incompatible. But not, they're not incompatible. A realist, an optimist, but not an idealist in that sense. Not yeah. like, and not a, and, and an evolutionary, not a revolutionary.
0: So let me ask you then, let's apply the same kind of dialectical thinking to the notion of capitalism. So your most recent book is Conscious Leadership, and you wrote that yeah. with John Mackey, who started Whole Foods, and that's about business and leadership. Yeah. And yeah. I, I wanted to discuss capitalism with you for a moment. I do have a friend here. He runs. He set up a retreat here. Highly intelligent, political philosophy background. Yeah. And he's written several articles for magazines where he's essentially taking the stance of an anti-capitalist. Yes. And he mentions, really yeah, he mentions. So i I'm, I'm not. An economic theorist, I understand very little about it, but I'm obviously interested. Okay, he considers himself anti-capitalist, and he would argue that the very notion of conscious capitalism is itself a paradox. Sure. And I was wondering how you would counter that argument, and maybe if you want to talk a little bit about your book and what that is putting or proposing.
1: Yeah, I think he's wrong, but I, but I would add that sometimes I, you have to get to you have to be careful about definitions here. Sometimes people. Okay define capitalism as the, all the things they don't like about capitalism <laughs> and, then, and then, oh, all the things that we all like about capitalism that's not capitalism that's just whatever that's all the good stuff so sometimes people can define the problem differently or define the so it's sometimes definitions matter when it comes to this mm. um, but the book is called conscious leadership and it's sort of it is a kind of a sequel to conscious capitalism not so much about capitalism or business I- itself although there's an some about that in the uh, in the book. It's more about the position of the individual, the leader, how we evolve as leaders mm-hmm. and how we evolve as business leaders, but also just as leaders in society, ultimately, how we become better leaders in order to be more to, to shepherd our society and our businesses and our organizations so they can evolve in more conscious ways and be expressions of the higher parts of ourselves, not the lower parts of ourselves. That's the simple answer to that. Now, the larger answer I would say to to him is that, again, it depends on how you define capitalism, because there's a lot of aspects of capitalism the way we've currently constructed it. I don't like either. But the idea is that let's not throw the baby out with a bathwater. Let's improve it. And one of the ways we improve it, obviously, we need government to regulate it appropriately. And that's all positive. But... Anything improves better if it improves better naturally. And how does it improve better naturally? If the people who are leaders of this system we've created are themselves more evolved and more able to shepherd it into the future and to change it and to develop it in all the ways we want to see. And yeah, there's a lot of aspects of the the crazy financial world at this moment and the the sort of casino like world of the financial system. There's so many, there's a lot of elements I'd like to see change. So they can yeah. better benefit the long-term goals of society. But what we also have to realize is we have 250 years of data here, which is you and I having this conversation, you being able to go to Costa Rica you know, and live yeah. there. I mean, just I mean, every dimensions of our lives have been transformed. But between the 13th century or the 12th century or probably the 8th century, who knows, and, and the 1750s or so, not a lot changed. In terms of technology, in terms of the way people lived, and there's a few people at the top, a mm-hmm. lot of people in the bottom, and that was about it. And then, you know, and a few, when they have a few fluorescent you know, cities that would emerge here and there that would be, have some wealth and maybe a little bit of the middle class, but not much for years and years. And then we have the world changes over 250 years. The world dramatically changes, and. We stand on the shoulders of that to a degree that most of us can't even realize because we're such beneficiaries of it. We have no idea what it really would be like to live in 1750 or 1650 or before we have. And that all has to do a lot with the way in which our economic lives have been constructed. So you wanna criticize it, wanna improve it, wanna change it, great. But don't throw, don't take the ladder out and so we all fall down. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. If you don't understand that history and how it's developed, yeah, it's got tons of problems. Boy, we got lots of problems. It's got environmental problems, ecological problems. That, that baby is also really important. It's what allows us to be aware of so many things that we need to be aware of to move forward. So let's go forward, not take this massive step back. And sometimes I think when people criticize it, that's what they mean. I just think they maybe don't have that historical perspective as, as deeply as they should.
0: Okay, if that makes That's sense. That's interesting. Yeah, so you're, <laughs> yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. That had, by the way, that had always been my intuitive approach to this is that capitalism as it is needs fundamentally recalibrating. But I didn't feel like capitalism was inherently evil. And I didn't yeah. feel like people who had, because they had money, were inherently evil or whatever. No. I could just see that it wasn't working. And that regenerative business was the way forward and having businesses which actually feed back and that yeah. money and abundance was generated at the same time as engaging in the energy of reciprocity and helping the planet. Yeah. you know, that, The that idea
1: had, that you could create something and then sell it to someone else and they find value in that and you can do it. We don't want to get rid of that. Does anyone want to get rid of that, that kind of entrepreneurial quality? Right. And that you could you right. do those kinds of things. It right. drives innovation.
0: It drives innovation. Yeah, it
1: drives innovation. Innovation has been critical. So to my mind, that's the heartbeat of capitalism, right? Not the fat cats having capital and doing their right. things with it. It's that kind of innovation. So yeah, we can, maybe there's a lot we can do, I'm sure, to make that more, to make that more the center of capitalism and less maybe capital in a way but and financial capital but I would say ultimately capitalism is really more about human capital than financial capital.
0: So it's really focused on this idea of individual transformation for the people who are going to command power or have positions of authority and influence. The book was yes, Leo. Right. Exactly, That's what it was, kind of but
1: for, for 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 all of us, really. But definitely for those who are going to have power and influence, even more so. How, absolutely.
0: How so? How do we elevate humanity, and how how do we expedite our own cultural evolution through through business? Do you have any kind of ideas around it? How we can use business, but use it as we've just been alluding to, use it as a tool, use capitalism as a tool, use business as it stands as a tool to elevate humanity, to expedite cultural evolution. Are are there any things you've thought about specifically with that?
1: Specifically, I think the more that leaders of business are adopting the kinds of values that you and I might find, oh, I appreciate that person's value. I appreciate what they're trying to do. And we're having this conversation about the future, about how to create a better world in in all kinds of ways. Mm. So the more that business leaders adopt that mindset and are innovating from that mindset, the more transformation they're going to create in society. And I think you see that in some, you're already seeing that in a lot of ways, not everywhere. Certainly we can Mm. always point out examples where you just shake your head and say, oh God, what was that? But you can all, you can do that in almost any sector of society, and certainly the more you go back in history, the more you can do that. You can do that. But, but, I think there are a lot of examples of, of businesses that are doing all kinds of good things and mm. and the more our collective awareness increases, mm-hmm. the more mm-hmm. we should push business to do that and in some sense, we should require we should have there should be re- regulatory fences around certain things we don't want business to do, but it's more than that it's also it's not just pull, it's not just pushed and constrained it's also we need business to be creative and innovative look there you know, this may change over the next few hundred years, but right yeah. now, business is the most creative and innovative institution in society. Now, sometimes it, it goes in ways that we don't want it to go, but it's the most, it's the most it moves the fastest, is the most creative, it's the most innovative. So the more it can go in directions we want it to go, the better right. off we're going to be.
0: That makes a lot of sense, rechanneling it, if you will, yeah. and man- managing it. Okay, great. So I wanted to move on to more, uh, more ontological kind of yes. uh, perspective more cosmological oh, yeah. ontological <laughs> especially yeah as we were speaking before the conversation uh, before that we start, i started recording the conversation with john stewart him being a materialist and he said to me i thought this was very interesting he says you have a pole mentality so i believe in a teleological universe i.e telos obviously meaning purpose and in greek that it's a purpose-driven universe that we are almost being pulled from the future into a more evolved kind of state of being rather than it being causal and pushed from the past. Do you have any thoughts on that with regards to evolution?
1: Yeah, sure, I do. We have our own, you know, opinions and, and intuitions about what things that are true. But I'm not a materialist. I'm a Teilhardian in the sense that I do see when I look at the, the evolution of the universe, the evolution of the planet, I see a telos there. I can't help but see a telos there. If you take the evolution of the planet, as you say, and you rewind it and you play it 5 billion years, you play it in 10 minutes mm-hmm. and then you play it the other way. Mm-hmm. Do you think which is front, which is the beginning? Oh my which
0: God. Is the end? That, to, I, that is so genius. I've, I think I've heard that before. It's about with a pendulum swinging. Yeah. You see a ball swinging on a pendulum and then you replay it. You don't know which way it started.
1: I don't know which way it started. Oh, yeah. But That's amazing. That's do. tripping me out.
0: <laughs> I love it.
1: But I think you would with the planet. I think you, now, the telos doesn't mean that everything is predestined, it doesn't mean that right. there is a, a specific outcome. I'm not necessarily Tehardian, and I think it's leading to the ultimate omega point. I don't know. that I'm agnostic. I don't know. what He had this omega point idea at the end of his evolution.
0: What is the omega point? You're talking about Teilhard de Chardin. You cut out, by the way, a minute back. So you're Sorry. talking about Teilhard. No, don't the apologize. Teilhard de Chardin. Yeah. yeah. What is the he omega
1: point? He was a Catholic mystic and evolutionary theorist. Yeah. And he had this sort yeah, of yeah. idea of this omega point at the end of evolution was providing the pull. So I don't know the answer to those questions. I don't necessarily believe in a specific outcome. I, I like an open-ended. I'm, I'm very drawn to this idea of a creative, open-ended idea of evolution. Mm. And I feel like as we've gone forward in history, I think yep. I even say this in the book, our visions of evolution have become less and less sort of prescriptive and specific, and they become more and more flexible
0: Mm-hmm. open
1: even scientifically that's just
0: yeah. True. yeah 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 even, yeah
1: like it's not just you know random mutation natural selection no there's all kinds of forces there are all kinds of things that are happening even on the biological level there whether you're talking scientifically or other visions of evolution if you go back to those uh, those theosophical visions of evolution they're all very they're very prescriptive. these levels these want and they're going to go this way right and, and I'm, I'm not saying that there is there's no order or structure To this process, Mm -hmm. I'm just saying. I argue for a creative, open-ended nature of evolution, but I think there's a telos. There's something drawing us. There's something that there's something in the there's something in the water, as they say. Right, (laughs) right, 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 right. (laughs) That's part of this. That's part of this. That's part of culture and part of and we. And I think we can. Yeah, that's my intuition. That's my sense of of what's true.
0: I would say we're pretty aligned then in that case, because I like I said, I do believe that we're being pulled. Forward, but I also believe that it's open-ended. I don't believe it's written in stone. It's yeah, almost like we exactly. have these infinite. I don't know if it was David Hume who spoke about this. A philosopher spoke about this about these kind of infinite timelines, and every yeah. single reaction from the most minuscule minuscule action opens up another timeline of destiny. I,
1: I, I right? think that's absurd.
0: You think it's absurd?
1: <laughs> yeah, i sorry. I, I don't no, to... it's
0: not my idea. It's I think yeah. it's David Hume. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's just with a all due respect.
1: This is very much the many worlds perspective. Is it? it okay.
0: It's a tough has
1: been quantum mechanics, like the every moment. You could, it could, you could go in this direction, and it'd be infinitely possible in that direction. The next moment, so infinite worlds are possible at any moment. Okay, and I just, I just think I don't even know what that kind of universe even is. It's just a blah universe. <laughs> it's like anything is possible, and we're just one of a hundred billion trillion possibilities at any right. given moment in time. And it's just I don't even know. I don't know how to make sense of that. To me, that's a nonsensical universe. Okay. Maybe it's true. Uh, you know, but it's the quant- in quantum theory they call it the mini worlds interpretation of quantum.
0: Okay. Theory. Okay. Interesting. Thanks.
1: But but uh, so I'm somewhere in between creative okay. and open ended because I very much believe in the creative mm-hmm. open ended, but I and, and but I also think there may be there's be, I don't think anything is possible. Like there's this idea, one of my favorite ideas in, in personal transformation, but also mm. in evolution. This comes from Stuart Kaufman, who is a famous evolutionary biologist. It's called the adjacent possible. Okay. And it says that the, the space of evolution that you can move into, and this is a Whiteheadian idea too, is determined by the past to some degree. But what's possible that's adjacent to you? How can you change mm. the, in a way that's adjacent to you? I can't suddenly go upstairs and lift and bench press 500 pounds, right? That's not in my adjacent possible. That's not possible. That's not in my evolutionary immediate future. Now, maybe over time I could get there, but what's in my adjacent possible where I can actually change, evolve into what's the the space of possibilities that are available Beautiful. to the evolutionary movement. That's Beautiful. called the adjacent possible. So I don't think the adjacent possible is just infinite potential. It's not, I, we can't, culture can't just change. You and I just can't, snap our fingers and some quantum moment recreate our lives the past matters yeah but the past is not determinative there's spaces of creativity and openness and the ability to shape and change the future through our own choice and awareness and that's all we need that's the beauty we don't need infinite potential we need some potential we need a spark of potential we need some freedom some creativity something that's not determined by the past That's all we, that's what you and I need. That's what we need as a culture. And I I would say that is also speaks to evolution. So it's not that the past doesn't matter. It's not that anything can happen.
0: That's beautiful. Uh, That makes a lot of sense. Actually. I really like that. Thank you. I really like that. (laughs) What is your, thank you. What what What, What is your opinion on the interrelationship between, this is another big question, between cosmology and consciousness Just your opinion. I don't. This is obviously not a uh, a definitive uh, answer that can be given. But people have different opinions on the relationship.
1: Look, I got into this because I was searching for enlightenment in my twenties, and I was I was passionate about it. I was searching for higher consciousness, and I spent tremendous amount of time pursuing that with others, doing meditation, doing practice, spiritual practice, in the pursuit of that. And I think that's a profound pathway in and of itself, right? The discovery of one's own deeper interiors, the discovery of all the dimensions of one's consciousness, or at least some of those dimensions, and the discovery of of consciousness itself as this kind of, when we meditate, we get in touch with something that's this kind of a a non-personal level of of consciousness, of this kind of awareness. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the kind of pursuit of mysticism through the ages. And I think that can awaken us to greater levels of individual awareness and Mm -hmm. interiority. And in that levels of freedom and choice that are powerful, that are important for the evolutionary journey, for our own journeys, but also for this larger journey that we're part of. Right. Now, mysticism traditionally has been pursued as a kind of leave the world alternative. I'm going, to go, it's true, it's true. I'm going to go and some people talk about vertical liftoff or something, you know, it's, I'm going to go and sit in the mountaintop. I'm going to remove myself from society and pursue this deeper. And that's a deep tradition in, in culture and in religious traditions. And I, I want to honor it. There's nothing wrong with that. There's something beautiful about people who just want to pursue that consciousness at that level or their own understanding of, of the deepest truth or God or whatever. That's beautiful. But I think in our own time, that mysticism has to participate deeply in this project that we're all a part of. Not to leave, mm-hmm. not to be separate from it, not to be outside of it, but to participate as creatively as we can in this project. And if it can help serve that, there's a beauty in 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 the project of, of mystical pursuit itself. So in that sense, mysticism can help as we try to create lives that are worthy of this larger project we're all part of this kind of global project that we're all a part of just by the fact that (laughs) we're we're, all um, alive
0: we all signed up to it on some level apparently
1: so so then there's this larger question you talked about cosmology of what's the 13 and a half billion year project about is that connected to consciousness and that's its own question too is consciousness implicated in that larger evolutionary trajectory that gets the question of what is evolving what's evolving over that that 13 and a half billion years period. Is it consciousness at some level? Is that what was there in some rudimentary form of the Big Bang? Some people talk about information being.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And I like that in a way because information feels like intelligence, confirmation. Well, it's like a little it closer is. Closer to consciousness than materialism. Some people talk about materialism. But I don't know what materialism is at that level. You're talking about information. So yeah, in the down there in the basics of reality, is there something like consciousness or information that's this kind of panpsychist view that is yeah. itself the kind of the agent of the evolution is acting or the agent of evolution itself that is is moving forward. Yeah, that's how I see the universe. That's how I see the evolution of. Yeah. Of this big cosmological process in some form. Now, what it looks like exactly, it may take us centuries to understand that fully. But I, I but I, but even the way people speak about, it, I think there's something. Yeah, it, was it just some, just an accident that there was this particular Big Bang, and then as Carl, as Brian Swim likes to say, you know, you take hydrogen gas and you leave yeah. it alone for thirteen and a half billion years, and you, you get, get rose bushes and you get your ass, You know, it's okay. <laughs> That's unusual. That's not something you would expect, <laughs> so is that, that is true. it
0: feels like there's a there are mysteries to understand about that that we have not understood. Absolutely, that's why consciousness is still the biggest mystery to the scientific community. It's what confounds it the most. Why it's still the hard sure. problem. Yeah. I think you and I have very yeah. similar views on the nature of reality. Again, I'm still uh, discovering it and processing it and exploring it, and it keeps developing my ideas. But intuitively, I do feel like consciousness preceded matter. Certainly consciousness preceded life on this planet uh, and that there must be, this is just my opinion, and that there, just, there must be some sort of law pertaining to consciousness and it con- the evolution of it for it to become as complex and elaborate as our own, which preceded life emerging kind of ex nihilo, the ontogenesis, that moment yeah, where chemistry right. became biology. Yeah. That in yeah. itself is highly intelligent That in itself has some level of consciousness. It might not be like the kind... Yeah. Yeah. For me, it actually makes completely logical, if you apply logic, it makes completely logical sense that consciousness preceded matter.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It doesn't make any sense that consciousness would come out of something as ostensibly unconscious as matter.
1: What was there? What was seated there already? I
0: think that this stuff is so beyond um, what we can fathom and comprehend. There's dimensions of reality and layers to this shit. There's late, you yeah, know, 96% totally, yeah. of the universe is, is dark energy and dark matter. We don't even know what that is. As far as we know, right?
1: There's so much we don't know, right? There's
0: stuff and going the more past- we
1: know, the less material everything seems.
0: Well, know? 100%, you know, there's stuff going past you and I right now, gamma rays, X, whatever, all this stuff, radio waves. We can't yeah. perceive that. Yeah. It's just beyond the doors of perception. Well, yeah. William Blake, if, you, if the doors of perception were cleansed, sure. man would see everything as it is, which is infinite. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this kind of infinite temporal... Um, energy going on at the same time we're living within the confines of space and time. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know? I'm with
1: you. I'm with you. And I agree. Like that when chemistry became biology, when biology became culture, those are these incredible moments in the history of evolution. But, that, but evolution is about a lot more than that. I mean, too, it's, it's mm-hmm. like... Look, at the the you know, the periodic table is yeah. a, a count of evolution in some ways, right? The count of the evolution of matter right. in some ways, and and biology we see the evolution of biology over time, and then, and then this, these new platforms of evolution. It's just this incredible story that we're still understanding. Then no one understands how chemistry became biology, no, or when no. that happened, or maybe we maybe we have a sense of when that happened in, in the planet. We don't know if it was just this planet or not. Yeah. You know, did that happen once uh, and that was it? Did it happen on this planet on other planets? Were we the first? It's conjecture. Much less when biology became culture. And, right. And the, and the right. best law, some people do is they try to explain it away as if it's not a big deal. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, and as if one person can provide all the answers to that. What really scares me, though, is actually is the evolution of technology, AI. Because there's a lot of people I meet because um, we are living in this unprecedented time of rapid yeah. exponential growth and evolution sure, in, ba- some, in bad evolution. ways and good ways. Exactly. Yeah. So I know a lot of people who fall less in the spiritual camp, and yeah. who they put their. It's almost like their kind of thwarted spiritual desires have been rechanneled into technology.
1: Oh, I know. That's it's the the transhumanists t- are right. totally like that. They're like Tehard because there's a reason <laughs> Tehard de Chardin anticipated the internet, because he was this kind of, they're like the materialist versions of Teilhard de Chardin in a way. That's
0: interesting. What is transhumanism?
1: Transhumanism is this kind of, it's almost like an ideology of techno- exponential technological growth that's going to quickly transcend what it means to be human and reach this kind of singularity where that we can't predict what happens on the other side because AI will be more intelligent than us and it will create its own future in ways that are impossible yeah. to comprehend on this side of it. I always find that this is more theoretical in some ways, but it, it, it's always interesting to me, like in some of the great evolutionary theorists, Sri Aurobindo, his idea was that eventually consciousness would infuse matter in the same way like our like the mind. sort of yeah, our bodies are infused with our biology is infused with intelligence in some kind of way. Like mm-hmm. like consciousness eventually would infuse all matter in the universe. That was his vision of where this is all going. But in some ways, transhumanists are just like that because they think like information, like in the same way that my iPhone, that the matter has become infused with information, like mm. information at a technological level is going to eventually infuse the entire universe. It's this kind of, it's this very supermind vision, of the transhumanist level. That's so it's just interesting. It's like the material side of that same vision.
0: It's interesting, but in a way, consciousness does already suffuse the universe, because I believe in a cosmic consciousness. I believe also that our minds are entangled, things like prophetic dreams, clairvoyance. You know, it's because we're going outside the space. This is what I believe, that we're going outside that space-time continuum. We're we're leaving this dimension on some sort of astral, etheric level, like I don't really understand. So it's like what they're predicting is going to happen, information being infused in the universe. That's, as far as I'm concerned, that's already happened and happening. I, go, on, yeah, go on. Go, go ahead. On. No, go ahead. I was just going to put, put this out there as well while we're at it. I also believe that there are other dimensions of consciousness that do not originate on this earth, which are aware of us, which have the technology to be able to visit us. And they're looking at us like watching an episode of Jerry Springer. Just like completely fucking appalled. Okay, they have war, they have famine, they rape each other. Like this, and they're like, oh no, no, this is kindergarten consciousness. Do you know what I mean? Because they're on such a more evolved plane of being, which is so much do, more unified.
1: Is, is it a, do, I, I don't know whether I should hope that's true or I should fear that's true.
0: So long as <laughs> they're so long as they're benevolent. So long as they're benevolent, but I do believe oh, it's, this well, is gone. Go on. No, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say I'm eager as well. This is now bringing into some massive questions about good and evil, whether evolution is necessarily or predicated upon some sort of beneficence. Like evolution is more unified, right? Like a higher state of evolution is more unified, and that would involve necessarily involve cooperation, kindness, benevolence. Do you know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Do, do you know? You know? So would you ask whether these per speculative? I don't know ETs, if we.
1: It's a good question. And I guess it could be benevolent, but but what would benevolence looks like, look like to a higher level of consciousness? I guess that's the issue. It's like right, right. Benevolence Absolutely. might not look freedom like we suffering. wanted to look. Free. This
0: is these are huge philosophical ideas. I guess I would say freedom of suffering.
1: Yeah, sure. Freedom, freedom of suffering
0: for all like levels of consciousness,
1: all the time. It's hard to understand. Yes, I do think evolution ideally moves in the direction of of greater, greater, you know, hopefully love and compassion, greater awareness of all the different dimensions of this of sentience. And, yep. aware, and, and, and wanting all those different dimensions of sentience to thrive. Mm-hmm. I think when people uh, on this planet, I think you see that when people wake up, they want themselves and the people around them to thrive, but they also want they want the, the planet to thrive. They want other species to also be Altruism. able to live and thrive. So we talk about love and compassion, but there's a different aspect to what it means to wake up and become more evolved, which is it's not just the kind of embrace of love which is its own beauty but it's empathy it's wanting people wanting sentience to thrive on its own terms is a big part of i think what it means to wake up what would that look like yeah thus obviously you don't want people to hurt themselves either (laughs) <laughs> so that's yeah. uh where where does that line
0: drop? yeah exactly and i think my intention with this podcast as well it was really just to raise some important questions and get people thinking yeah. obviously we're not going to be able to answer these fundamental epistemological ontological metaphysical questions in an hour so yeah. my my final but you've given some really great information and ideas so thank you my my final question to you since this podcast is called sacred wisdom what does the sacred or the notion of the sacred mean to you
1: carter i think that I guess when I think about the sacred or when I think, I know I'm a a one trick pony here, but to me, you know, that life is sacred, but life is sacred and and human life is even more sacred, but it, because it represents something about the journey of the universe, right? The beauty of that journey, the Mm. struggle of that journey, that the in human consciousness, the expression of that journey, the struggle of that billions of years, in some sense, exists in us. It's it expressed in our cognition. And, and there's something beautiful and extraordinary about it and sacred about it because it represents that whole, we're the representative, we represent that. Our, our capacities, even the smallest capacities in some ways, all represent that fruition and we don't know the whole story and we don't know where it's going exactly but we have some sense of that majesty of that picture that we are beginning to appreciate in deeper and deeper ways so there's something just and as you say like it understanding has these deeper dimensions to it it has this consciousness dimension to it It has these deeper layers Mm -hmm. and like that's a overwhelming picture that's a ginormous picture it's a the the it's a it's just on so many levels i think there's just something you can't really fathom it. it and it touches upon these mysterious chords of what it means to be alive yeah and to be able to think in these ways and be able to reflect in these ways and i just think that's that's sacred and when you Appreciate that, the more we appreciate that, the more it changes, it does impact how we relate to life itself, how we relate to to the journey of life, to other kinds of life, definitely, but also to our uh, to, to this thing we're part of.
0: Mm. And
1: yeah, I guess that's, that's
0: beautiful. It's. No, that's really beautiful. it's a really beautiful way of, of framing it to seeing the macro within the micro journey of our own becoming, of our own life. Seeing the entire rich tapestry of the universe, of the ground of being is mirrored in the fact that we are alive.
1: Yeah. How poetic. So poetic. How beautiful. How amazing that you can connect all that in ourselves. Yeah, It's just amazing.
0: It's amazing. We forget we get so pulled into the cotton wool of life, the being and doing, the quotidian, the small problems. And yet there is this Awe inspiring truth, which is our own existence, there, available to us at all times, should we wish to pursue it. So beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with me. It was absolutely fascinating.
1: Well, I I really enjoyed it. Some of these topics are not topics in my everyday life, I I talk about it a lot these days. So I appreciate being able to revisit
0: them. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's nice to meet you. Hopefully, see you in Costa Rica soon. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes exactly the oh, blue yeah. zone
0: thank you for listening to the show i really hope that you enjoyed it please head to the sacred wisdom podcast page on facebook for more resources and further reading on everything discussed if you're interested in finding out more about me and my journey please see my instagram handle at arabella underscore thais or head to my website www arabellatais.com where you can read my collected essays articles and poetry if you wish to contact me there's a contact form on there so I recommend using that if you are enjoying the podcast thus far I have two requests firstly that you subscribe to the podcast that way you won't miss out on any content my second request is that you rate and review the show as this will be incredibly helpful to me getting the podcast noticed and therefore disseminating the content. Thank you so much ahead of time. I promise to read each and every single one. Okay, have a great week and I hope to see you next time on the Sacred Wisdom Podcast.